listening to The Chartographers. Loving podcast, music loving people, worst first. You know those things, things that I've always said the entire time the podcast has been active. And guys, listen, uh, we surprisingly have a part two to our Whitney Houston journey. We were not expecting it. It's only eight albums. It's only eight albums. But here's the thing: when you get Evan Soddy, Taryn O'Reilly, and special guest and beloved friend and wonderful sex god the world over, Nick Shoto, in studio, and Nick Shoto has and. And multiple, <laughs> multiple Charties nominee, Nick Shota, uh, in studio. This is going to happen. We get a lot of knowledge. We get a lot of backstory. We get a lot of things. And there was a surprising, deep discussion about Whitney. Taryn, I think, surprised himself most of all. I really didn't think I had that much to say. I know. Honestly, I was like worried I didn't have enough to say. And then clearly I had opinions. Yeah. And then it was just then it became like, no, you're wrong. And uh, it's a whole thing. Where? So. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to part one. And also, here's the other thing, though. Uh, although we're ranking her albums from worst to first, uh, the thing is that her albums were only talking about the remaining ones. All the five albums that we talked about in the last episode, and I really highly recommend you listen to our last episode. Uh, we're not going to talk about them here. So whatever they are, they're going to be lost to time unless it was the first episode in which we talk about them robustly. But when it comes to ranking Whitney Houston's best albums, we have three left. Three standing contenders. And I think some people may have seen it that way. I'm still kind of surprised by it. But what we have remaining is... Whitney Houston, the debut album from 1985, Whitney, the sophomore album from 1987, and her first ever soundtrack album, The Bodyguard, from 1992. We got three spots. We're going to rank them three to one. So, listen, we've had a whirlwind of a discussion. I feel very much at ease with these picks. I feel very, very, like, there's a sense of serenity that surrounds yeah, me right you know, now. It's a little obvious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is it? I mean, I don't, is it, though? What I don't know. It's necessarily have been my choice, but, you know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, she, and it also would not have been Nick Shota's choice, as, it we've, wouldn't have been, as we've heard. But, so, you know, it's okay. But we're, we're at peace with we're, we're at peace with He would have put Preacher's yeah. Wife at number one, so. Uh, you know. uh, hey, don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that in the last episode. I'm just fighting. I'm fighting for my Whitney. I'm fighting for her. Exactly. So, Nick Shota, dear friend, multiple charty nominee, will you get nominations for this episode? I don't know. Um... I, I better hope I hope so let's find a way to get me some nominations the, no I need to win which by the way I wanted to say it, it truly was an honor to be nominated I was delighted I listened to that episode and I was like oh. I just giggled I giggled all through at everyone else and I'm not gonna lie a little bit at myself so yeah. um, hashtag narcissism hashtag all stars um, <laughs> Look, you don't need to be ashamed of that. <laughs> there are whole categories devoted to each of us. Yeah. Which we are absolutely laughing at I, ourselves. I, I, exactly. So, and, and for the record, it's not laughing with ourselves, it's laughing at ourselves. At, I'm at, a fucking idiot. I'm That's laughing been at, pa- at past Taryn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, because current Taryn, he's always the smartest, he's always the best. You learn from the best. You learn from me. So, guys, listen. Oh. Number three, we're down to our top three. And it's just out there. Between the three albums, Nick Shota, we're just going to talk about it. I'm not going to necessarily lock anything in place. Nick Shota, what would you nominate for number three? For number three? Uh-huh. Assuming we are approaching The Bodyguard as an EP. We are. We, we are. Yeah, we are. I, I would put Whitney Houston at number three. The, for the very first album? The first album. Okay. Number three. Okay. Give us a little bit of the context as to why. She's, I believe, 21 when this came out? Uh, yes, that's correct. Because she was like doing TV appearances and things yeah. like that beforehand, but that's when she was like, you know, 1920, that kind of thing. So this yes. is her first proper, proper, proper album. So the the debut album is, is interesting because it was such a massive success and because of the way that it set up the rest of her career. Mm-hmm. I think that... Set the template. Right. Absolutely. I think that there are... Let's see. Four truly, like, best of her career, like, some favorite songs on that album, and the rest of Are they of all it, the singles? No. Oh. Uh, I, 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 sh- uh, I should take that back. There are three 
best of her career, like favorites, those are singles, and one that I really, really like. Um, that I think mm-hmm. is really interesting. What's the one you really, really like? The one that I really, really like is Thinking About You. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we'll, we'll dive into that. Um, uh, and the rest of it, honestly, is kind of filler. Uh, this is an unpopular opinion. I... And I... Okay, God, get ready. Whitney, I love you. God rest your He's soul. He's doing the cross fingers. Um, I hate the greatest love of all. <gasps> what? I'm so shocked. I'm right. shocked. I, I am I'm I'm sorry. shocked. I'm, excuse me, I have to correct myself. I hate greatest love. Is it greatest or the greatest? I mean, I pulled this off of Wikipedia, so, which so, is okay, accurate, so, so it's okay. the greatest. Very specifically, the original was the greatest love of all, sure. and her version is greatest love of all. So wait, you oh. don't believe... Wait, wait, Sean, are you saying that you don't believe the children are our future? You won't teach them well and let them leave? Uh, not if I have to lead them over a Casio keyboard. Uh. <laughs> that, was, um, that was almost listen, a joke. Listen, no, uh, all of which is... I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Taryn. Thank you. I mean, that. I, here's the thing, I, and I just want to bring one thing out, and yeah. especially is this true with this, especially early era Whitney? She is a schmaltz peddler. She is. That's the thing. And the thing is that, like, I think, and here's, I think, genuinely, if we're just being truthful right now, I think going into this week, especially like the first couple days, mm-hmm. Tara and I were kind of like a little bit aghast at just how just so much schmaltz. There yeah. is so much schmaltz. Oh it's God. a lot. Like, and the because. Thing, because her lasting legacy is her dance hits. And like, I will always love Regardless you. of what went number one. I almost thought you were going to say her dancing. And I was like, ooh. Oh. <laughs> no, no. Ooh, she's going to moonwalk by actually walking backwards. We've, cool. we've seen her dancing, yeah. and that is not her legacy. Cringe. No, but we love what she did. Or yeah. I love what she but did. But, like, but the ballads, even if they... I mean, some of them outsold yeah. the big dance hits from each album, mm-hmm. but what's lasted are the up-tempo songs, mm-hmm. except for Greatest Love of All. And I Will Always Love You. And I Will Always Love yeah. You. Yeah. But, like, you know, I'm not, I, I, I will give you that, because Greatest Love of All is, is fucking cheesy. It is, except yeah. for the def- when she gets to the defiant part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I decided long ago. I decided long ago. I mean, ago. that's the best part of the exactly. Song. And like, we have to get through this valley of schmaltz in order to get to this part because, like, as an empowerment anthem, she fucking kills it with that voice, especially. She can sell it. But there's another revelation that we had this week, which was we were watching. I mean, the thing is, we're listening to these albums here, and then by complete random happenstance, I brought up a clip of a TV show she was on where she performed "You Give Good Love." Ah, oh, the, you the, know the one the we're Johnny Carson show performance. Yes. yes. Sorry. And and the no, thing, I mean that is the correct. The ugh. when we oh my god, the last like minute of that song, I was full on getting hype. Yeah. I was like like a fucking gorilla, like yes. crab walking from yeah. side to side. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, fuck! Like yeah. yes. I like stood up out of my chair and started jumping, like. That's how much it was because blowing me away. Her voice, her control, the I mean, the fact that it's not the fact that she can hit the notes, because Mariah Carey can hit the notes and fuck her, and I know you love her, Nick, but seriously fuck her. But like legitimately, <laughs> it's not the fact that she can hit the notes, it's the fact that ease, the control, and the gorgeous way she just rolls them it's out. It's so effortless. And like as as someone who has had some vocal lessons, I know what to look for. And I just like she's hitting every goddamn mark. She's fully supporting her vowels are beautiful and open and like it's just it's absolutely stunning and that's as as that performance was ending and the audience was clapping and like the next video was loading up i was like not a single one of her studio recordings does her justice i like oh i'm so glad you said this and i'm so and i'm so happy and that's the, that was, I, honestly, that was the hard part about this week was when you just sit down and you're listening to the al- these albums, you're like, oh, there's so much smaltz, there's so many ballads. And then when you watch her sing them live, you're like, oh, 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 yep. oh, there's the this performance. is the artist. That's what people remember. There is the artist. Yep. Yeah. This is why she's massive. You give good love. She's like the, fish. I like, I, shut up. Like I want to delete. I want to delete the album version and just download a version, like a track mm-hmm. of that performance, because like it is just so far and away. Then the, at the end of that performance, when she's just like, 
hovering. Her high register, yep. and she's quiet as fuck, and yeah. just giving those harmonies, and you're like, oh, and the tone, like, I've, I'll say this a couple times. Well, and that's, that's actually another good point to make about this album while we're talking about uh-huh. it, is that her tone is so impeccable, and her timber is so impe- impeccable. The natural quality of her voice is, is I mean, there's that that is the reason she's the best vocalist of the pop era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, it's so hard because then you have all these other songs on here where she's duetting with these dudes, and they Manny just... Manny Tremaine Jackson. Well, but even Teddy Pendergrass... Oh, fuck that Teddy Pendergrass song, by it's the way, creepy. for the record. It is. But... Like, I, like, listen, I know she's 21, so she's legal, but he's fucking 37. Hold me, hold me. Like, it's just like this, like, almost, like, way too sexual, like, it's one of those things where, like, I, technically, I have no reason to feel uncomfortable, but when I listen to it, I still feel uncomfortable. Can I make you feel a little bit more uncomfortable Oh, God, about that? do I want to know? Please, 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 please. So, um... We're nothing but awkward here. On the, the tour supporting the album, um, she had her brother Gary as one of her background <gasps> singers, and... Gary sang all the male parts. No! Oh! No, no, no. Do it to me one more time. Um, okay. Never. <laughs> so, and, there, and there's one... With a brother like you. What? Uh, no. Uh, no. No, no, no. 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 Evan Saudi. No. No. Um, there's one uh, recording where... So she she goes through. She introduces all of uh, everyone in her band and her background singers and everyone, and she's like, "Oh yeah, like this guy over here, you you like him?" And they're like, the audience is like, "Yeah," and and she, <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, well I love him, but check this out, he's my brother," and I'm like, "Oh oh, that's weird. That's oh, fucking weird. That's an, yeah. uh, that's I don't feel exactly. That. Yeah. So th- um, that anyway." Means, yeah, but <laughs> saying was though that it's because her vocal timber is so perfect it's perfect yeah. everyone that she duets with with maybe the single exception of Stevie Wonder just can't stack up and even if they're they're fine singers like almost all of them don't have the technique even kind of mm-hmm. but then just in general their timber doesn't blend with her and it's actually a problem I have across her career with when I can tell she's not doing the harmony vocals, mm-hmm. which she does a lot. And when she's doing the harmony vocals, acapella, how will I know? Mm-hmm. It's incredible. But when she's not, it's really obvious. It's sort of distracting almost. And that's, that. I mean, I would not put this album specifically next. Again, not going to fight too hard. But, <laughs> but I will say against it that all three, Three of the duets on here are rough because of the guest artist. But yeah, that being said, like honestly, this was the first Whitney album, Whitney Houston album that I bought, uh, mm-hmm. primarily on the strength of "How Will I Know," and that's because when it comes to just joint, effervescent, upbeat dance pop songs about falling in love, which I definitely was whenever I first heard it there. Oh man, baby! Like I, it's one of the things. Like I feel like, and this might be the truth for a lot of different listeners, though. You know, I, I don't think this is going to get the most plays out of anything in our discography, simply because a lot of people still, as you pointed out during our Janet episode, Whitney is a singles artist. People outside of maybe the Bodyguard soundtrack don't really think of Whitney as an albums artist. I'm mm-hmm. glad we're diving into the albums because there's a lot of takeaways here. But that's the biggest thing. We're like, you know, there's these stray singles where it's just like, oh my god, I didn't know she was even capable of that. Mm-hmm. So that's why like each album is a statement unto itself, which says, and everyone for the most part says something different. So Whitney Houston, the album, I would agree, is inconsistent. I would also say that Whitney is also pretty inconsistent itself, but Absolutely. maybe for different reasons. Sure. Uh, and so when I was diving into it, like. I feel like, and that was the thing about Research Week, when the first day of Research Week, when we were listening to the Whitney albums, I'm just like, fuck, man. Like, it's just like, you have to get through the schmaltz. Like, we have an episode coming up later in the season where we talk about Bjork, mm-hmm. and uh, that's one where I'm excited about because that's, we're gonna have to, like, you get into it, but this is... I am apprehensive. You know, but, like, legitimately, though, it's the same thing here. We're like, at the start of the week, I'm just like, fuck these ballads. There's way too many ballads. There's 800 ballads. But then when, once you... I have listened to Once the ballads that a couple times. Right. You're like, 
you you can distinguish them more. There are some ballads where the melody and the vocal performance really elevate it, where you're like, yes, I love this. And then, of course, there's a lot of filler. <clears throat> so, no, and the thing is that, like, so it's one of the things, I have, a, I have an affinity for Whitney Houston, but I'm curious, Taryn, uh-huh. what would you have nominated for number three? Um... Well, can I finish talking about this album? Certainly can. I was just going to say a song that is sort of a victim of its production is Thinking About You. Mm. Um, I really like that song. I do! I really, really like that song. And I I like it specifically in comparison when I've listened to the rest of her discography. And I'm like, oh, 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 this is actually really fun right. and great. It's just kind of mired in this, like, muddy, like synth yeah. It's like... Mistake. It's legitimately, I like, nothing else she's ever done. Absolutely, yeah. Which is really interesting coming... Out of her debut. Well, yeah, coming out of her debut and coming right off of yeah. You Give Good Love, which in yeah. a lot of ways, which is a song that I... I it's one of the three that I, I truly, truly love so, so much. Mm-hmm. Like, even the album version... What, what are the other two? Um, Saving All My Love For You and How Will I Know. Yeah. I just, like, those songs are like, just... Saving, and that's a weird thing. Saving All for My Love For You, that's Schmaltz done right. Like, Absolutely, just, you yes! Know, like, so the thing is, I can't... I don't even know what the differentiating line is between this is too cheesy versus you're selling it. Well, and that's another one where, like... I was fine with it, and then I watched... I think you sent me that Letterman performance. And I was like, oh, 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 this is where the song is. Because that's actually one where I'm like, I think they should have used a different vocal take. There's some some flat brashness Mm -hmm. on the chorus a couple times on that one. Mm -hmm. But then on that performance, she nails every single second. And I'm like, great. I, like... Again, that's one where she I like. I want truly... to download the audio well, of that performance and, even going and in, into that. Even going into this week's show, it's just like, by the way, like, because he's like giving us preachers trip tips. He recommended that Showtime documentary. He recommended a couple other different resources for us to look up. Because again, like, we're diving into it for research week. He's been doing this his whole life. We will defer respect. <laughs> we'll, de- we'll defer respect to him on everything except the rankings. But the biggest thing, though, is that he then at one point is like, "Do you guys want any bootlegs? I know some great ones." And Taryn had the same reaction I did at first. I'm like, "Shut! I don't." What the fuck are you talking about? Bootlegs? Bootlegs? I'm here to tell you, you you didn't know that you needed them, but you do. What he meant, what he meant by bootleg was her best live performances. Because her live connect. Like there are also there are also like full concerts on YouTube, which I highly recommend because there's just every one is a little bit different. Every yeah. rendition that she And does. now the Bodyguard came out in 1992 and I think you were even saying that and because it, it, it's true for the rest of her discography Save the Preacher's Life but like the vocal quality does start failing because like she powered that incredible voice through so much. Mm-hmm. Would you say like 94, 96 something around that time is when her vocal quality started to drop off or? Well it's interesting to compare Waiting to Exhale to The Preacher's Life mm-hmm. because you really hear specifically on Why Does It Hurt So Bad, which is another one of my favorite Whitney songs that feels very lived in. Um, you hear a, a voice that has gone through some wear and tear. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you get to The Preacher's Life, I feel like her, her voice is really in great shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I she's think, also at home, too. Right. So, you know, yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. But... D- Definitely. I mean, even compared to, like, some of the performances we watched from, like, 95, 96, like, on the recording of The Preacher's Wife, she sounds, as much as I don't necessarily have use for that entire album as a whole, her vocals are still impeccable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that when you start to really hear the the deterioration come in is is on the My Love Is Your Love album, but even there and and listening to it again, it was more apparent to me than it had been in the past. Um, mm-hmm. y- y- well, she doesn't have terms... to try as hard on My Love Is Your Love, honestly. It's a different style of song. Sure, um, but I you still hear. I, I I wonder what would have happened if there hadn't been that deterioration if the keys had been different you know mm-hmm. what what that album would have looked like if, mm-hmm. if that had not been the case because yeah. that yeah okay that's, yeah anyway. so that being said um, as i mentioned before like so you put that as your number three what would you put i would put whitney okay interesting okay and okay. then and and as far as like lead singles are concerned 
I love I Want to Dance with Somebody, and I think, especially since we know that it was the same songwriter as How Will I Know. Which I love, and I, yeah. It was honestly... Hey, can you do that magic again? Fuck yeah, It was an improvement on the formula. Thank you, You I agree. Like, it was incredible, and I I also think that Just the Lonely Talking Again is one of the best (sighs) ballads she has ever done. (laughs) Yes! I'm so glad you agree about this! I was worried that 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 you wouldn't. That was one that, like, stuck out right away, and it's also one where... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm like 95% sure she's doing all the harmony vocals on that. I'm sure she is. And it sounds so good. Oh my God, you hear all the high harmonies and just like... When that really ready for love. It's just like... It just gets me right in my fucking chest. It's just like... Drizzle it over pancakes. It's so good. You know... Love is... Oh, contact sport. Who fucking knows what that song is? <laughs> I mean, that song is confused about its existence. And that's, it's that's definitely one where, where where they're like, "You're an '80s pop star. Yeah, yeah, let's give you this fucking nothing bullshit of a little pop song." But let's not skip over so emotional. Okay, another so, one of my like definitely favorite yes. Whitney Houston songs yes. of all time. But what, it's Absolutely. weird though because when I was listening to it, especially in the context of this week, and I chatted Shoda, and I still feel it's true. It's like, man, so emotional, so good, and I don't care about the verses. Like the verses are just this kind of like, like they're them. there, they're fine. But then that fucking that chorus, it's that chord change on the fucking chorus, just was like life. It's like it just gives it's, you, well, it defines the song. It's funny that you say that because we sort of skipped it. But I feel the same way about someone for me off of Whitney Houston. Uh-huh. But the opposite. The I think that the verses and the pre-chorus are amazing, Abs- and yes. then they just like kind yes. of forgot to write a chorus. <laughs> Absolutely, they just and then it's just backing vocals doing this like someone for me, and I'm like, yeah. what? Do, no, do, 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 no, this should have been an explosion do, 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 of emotion and and incredible vocal prowess. What is this chorus? So, just to backtrack a little bit, so um, how will I know was originally written for Janet? Which I think is hilarious in retrospects because it would not have been can, as good. Can you I imagine? Feel, there are more songs on "I Am Your Baby Tonight" that sound like they were Janet Ray. Well, can you just can we just imagine for a minute? By the way, my kingdom for the original demo of "How Will I Know" that was for Janet. Like I just exactly. It's like like that. Like that's all it would And I obviously I love Janet. Like, but but. Someone for me totally sounds like a Janet song. Like, can you can totally hear Janet being like, someone for me, you know, like that whole thing. Yes, anyway, except but, she she wouldn't have given us that someone for. Oh yeah, and of like course. that's that's I think that's what makes me so angry about it is because that's like, she she blows that single line out of the water and it's it's supposed yeah. to be a prelude for an amazing chorus and it just doesn't deliver. It's totally the he doesn't even know that I'm alive from <laughs> Janet's control yes! album of the Whitney Houston album, which I didn't make the connection to until just now. <laughs> and it doesn't pass the Bechdel test either. Right. <laughs> for um, sure. Hashtag all Okay, three. but back to Whitney. Yes, sorry. <laughs> so I've talked about um, I Want to Dance with Somebody, Just the Lonely Talking Again. And your favorite, and so Where emotional. Your Broken Hearts Go. And that's that's literally all I have time for on this record. The rest of it oh. is like pretty boring late eighties. Like yeah, a lot the thing of, is, I don't I don't hate as many of the songs. I don't hate them, but it's they just, just they're, they're not there. they're not distinct. Yeah. There's and I feel like there's more distinct moments on Whitney Houston. And so like I don't I can't even tell you what where you are sounds like. And I, I know that I listened oh, to Oh, where it. you are? I oh, yeah. To it. Fuck that song. I Hold listened, on. Wait, I wait, wait. I to that one, like, more times than some of the rest of them, trying to get it into my brain and just couldn't. And that's, like, and obviously Love is a Contact Sport is on here. You're Still My Man is, like, eh, for the love of you is, eh. Where Do Broken Hearts Go is one of my least favorite songs for sure. And so it's just like, there's just this like slog on the second half of Whitney. Okay, let me tell you what Where You Are is about since you clearly don't forget. Here's the thing. She 
is by herself, and she happens to see her famous beau in the TV and in the newspapers, and instead of lying about all bad, being like, oh my god, where is he? She just takes her fucking credit card out, gets a flight, and goes to him, and all is solved. And that's the fucking song. Where's the conflict? Where's the drama? I don't fucking know. But she happened to open up her paper and see a photo of him there. Oh my god, fuck that song. That is just like, that is like how fucking high-end, high-society bullshit of a song. Like, oh my god, I miss him, so I went to him. Fuck you. You know, like, that's the thing. Also, I'm gonna have a quick Prince of Egypt mo- moment on this record too I grew up on chess so I oh. know so I know I know him so well yeah really well and I cannot fucking listen to Sissy Houston sing it because she's not a pop vocalist and the thing is I mean she is actually I would say that Sissy Houston is talented she is not a pop vocalist and the things I don't even necessarily hate her performance actually, on there it is just ill-fitting I actually enjoyed her performance on The Preacher's Wife uh, more than I did yeah. on this album because that's that's her that's her, her wheelhouse right that's yeah. her wheelhouse totally yeah. and then so it fit her vocal style whereas this was just incorrect yeah Shoda um so so here's my response to that that bullshit um <laughs> I first of all I get where you're coming from I think in looking at the the two of these albums back to back it's such um, obvious, like, 80s crass capitalism in a way. If, if, like, because it takes one thing um, that was super successful, chops off half the title, basically repeats most of the formula, uh-huh. and, yeah. like, puts yeah. it out for the yeah. masses, right? Um, down to, you know, I Want to Dance with Somebody basically being How I Know Part 2. That being said... Nothing wrong with that. I think that... What made people shit on the Whitney album, and people sh- like did were not really? here for Whitney. Okay. They were not because it's like one million is, less than the last. This one. is the one that got booed at. Oh, right. so like, okay. this so, was the record that yes. alienated yeah. a lot of people. So what happened with the debut was that the expectations were so high that the the repeating of the formula basically backfired. So all of these it's people, the bad to her fucking thriller. Uh, right, yeah, um, to an extent, because the, the the album, the Whitney Houston album, established this vocalist with such incredible promise. Um, you know, people acknowledged that, yeah, so there were some schmaltzy moments on the debut, but there's clearly uh, a, a vocalist who we should be focused on and interested in because it, her voice is incredible, obviously. So then Whitney comes out and repeats the same formula and everyone reacts to it in this way that's like, man, we have this debut that was such a huge thing. Um, it broke all these records, blah, blah, blah. And now we're just repeating that same thing um, and, and not advancing in any real way. However, I would argue that if the Whitney album were the debut, it would have had a similar amount of praise um, because it everything that we loved about the debut is in the Whitney album except she sounds more confident I think that her voice sounds more focused I think that even though sure there there's the schmaltz there we lose the ballads you know she doesn't have to sell herself anymore so or she doesn't have to sell herself quite as in the same way that she did before mm-hmm. so you don't have to backtrack, there is no need for Jermaine Jackson to make two appearances on the Whitney Houston oh album. You are correct. Also, I correct. Hate it. also, Whitney Houston did no f- no fewer than four duets with Jermaine Jackson in the eighties, and it is and also the best of these does not appear on any of her albums except for her greatest hits, and it's called "If You Say My Eyes Are Beautiful." It's still kind of corny, but like that's a situation where, of course, Whitney is singing way better than Jermaine Jackson, but, like, the the melody of it, it all kind of comes together in a nice way. If that song had been on Whitney Houston, that would have been a different, this would have been a different conversation. But instead, you have these kind of two mid-tempo songs that are basically, they, they just feel the same to me, mm-hmm. in a way, or a ballad so, and a mid-tempo. Whereas with... That's not a Jermaine Jackson song. I know. Uh, with Whitney... I think that you you hear an evolution of a voice that that is coming into her own. It's not perfect. I also am totally here for. <laughs> yes. I don't you dare. I like where you are. No. 
I am also here for, for For the Love of You. And here's why. Because I I love the the songs that give us more understated Whitney. Um, especially in contrast to the bigger dance numbers mm-hmm. and um, you know to the the big power ballads, and um, for the love of you in particular, I, just the the way that her voice just sort of floats along with the melody, I think is really stunning. In a similar way that it, it is with you give good love. So for me, the reason I would put Whitney uh, above Whitney Houston is just pound for pound, like they they both have super high highs and some like. Terrible lows. Um, the, the, the lows are lower on Whitney Houston than they are for me on Whitney. Okay. Here's the question. That's though. fair. Okay. Here's... Because I, I will just say in agreement with that, that yes, like the duets on Whitney Houston like really hurt. Like yeah. they really bring it down. Jermaine Jackson has no place in this discography, honestly. I, I agree. But I also think that Whitney as a whole on the songs that aren't duets just doesn't bring as much to the table. Okay, so here's my question then. Here's my biggest question though. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on a lot of things about Whitney. I agree she is more confident. She mm-hmm. doesn't need the fucking aid duet vocals there because she's Whitney. She's come into herself. She's been through the runs. She knows what she's doing. And so that confidence, that personality is a lot more front and center because there's personality on Whitney. Less so on Whitney Houston, which is perfectly manufactured but also still manufactured to a degree Mm -hmm. the question is genuinely from the heart Mm -hmm. are the songs better well you talk about the technique ignore mm -hmm. the technique for a bit are the songs genuinely better i mean this is really tough because we're we're getting to the songs that are are like the fabric of whitney um i have to say i mean I Want to Dance with Somebody is truly one of my favorite songs of all time. One of the greatest singles of the age. Um, it's it's one of the best pop songs of all time. Yeah. Um, I think it no is, one will contest that. It is impeccable. Also, the great thing about Walden as a writer-producer, he's one of the only motherfuckers, especially in early Whitney days, to get mm-hmm. those synth horns to sound not terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, know, there's yeah. so many mm-hmm. bad synth horns on this whole mm-hmm. discography. Even when it was 2002, <laughs> she was still using synth horns. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's it's one of those songs. I I did a cover of it once in a cabaret, and it is to date the my most favorite thing I've ever sung. Which one? I want to dance with somebody. Oh yeah. Like yeah. I had a friend of mine rearrange it, and it is just like. Were you stripping? It's just I was I was not stripping. Um, that would not have been. Uh, and that I I don't think that was. What so was intended. intended? Yeah. Um. But it's it's like yeah. I, I think I truly love it. Just one more thing that I'll say about Whitney. I, both of the first two albums are guilty of this, but Whitney's even more guilty is that when I'm just going through like today, I was cramming, making sure I knew what each song sounded like so I could talk about them instead of going like I remember I liked that one, but I have no idea why. Yeah. And I think. Four songs on this record start with a reverb-laden electric piano going do 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 yeah. do like <laughs> the same opening riff uh-huh. every time, regardless of what the melody of that ballad ended up being. It was like, oh, we're in the fucking formula right now, yeah. and and I know it's not just Whitney Houston. That's what the late 80s and early 90s were. There were a lot of ballads that had the same three instruments as their backing track. Mm-hmm. But it really shows on the second half of this record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your number three is, is still Whitney Houston? Yeah. Uh, oh, wait. But, well, so, yes. Um, I also just want to clarify one thing. I don't hate Whitney's vocal performance of Greatest Love of All. I just don't like that song. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I have to say. I just, sorry, Whitney. She's so number three is Whitney. Me. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. What do you got, Evan? Whitney Houston at number three. <sighs> of course. Of course. It's, well, it's, okay. you know it's alright. Should, should we talk about the bodyguard? I mean, listen, I, mean, I, here, I, don't, I don't want to give away what number one is, but let's just talk about the bodyguard real oh, quick Jesus. to see what's going on. Now, here's the thing. What is the bodyguard? Is it, I mean, the thing is that, like, we, I feel like we could talk for days about... Wait, you what? put Whitney Houston at number three? Oh, no. 
Yeah, that's what I said, right? Oh, wait, I thought... Oh! Oh, so you did side with Nick. Oh! Yeah. Yay! Oh! Oh. Wow! Both of us were... See, that's what happens when you name two albums the same fucking thing! <laughs> also, also, I love how she has Whitney Houston, Whitney, and then just, just Whitney. Whitney. Yeah. <laughs> especially be- it's especially yeah. confusing because... Whitney is just Whitney! Yeah. Previously, you could have referred to 1987 as just Whitney. Yeah. But now you can't anymore. Yeah. Unless you say... Just Whitney. Dot, dot, just dot. Whitney. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Janet Dot. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Back to it. So, the bodyguard. The bodyguard. Though, the bodyguard. Here's the thing. You know, so apparently it was Kevin Costner's idea to actually have the start of I Will Always Love You. And here's the thing. So, we watched The Bodyguard this week. Okay. One, number one surprise. It's not a bad movie. I don't hate it. Wow. Okay. I didn't. Okay. Like, so, the thing is, like, I mean. It came out the year I was born. <laughs> Which so makes I've, me want to kill myself. I've spent literally my whole life hearing about how bad of a movie it is. Okay. And how it was hugely successful because it was Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. And Not that it so was much terrible. Kevin Costner. Yeah. Um, although, fun. fun fact, he was named the sexiest man alive that year. Mm-hmm. I'm sure because of Did this they movie. Read, but, this is, but then isn't it the same publication that gave Blake Shelton Sexiest yeah, Man so Alive? Yeah, so who gives a shit? Right, but, yeah, fuck that. But up. still. Um, sexiest Man Alive, the blob from the X-Men. But so, so we finally watched this, it this week, and I was like, I mean, I knew that I liked Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. but... Whitney was also not a bad actress. Oh, not at all. That's clearly why she went on to make four yeah. more movies. Yeah. But I, I including Sparkle. And I, I even like the directing, the production quality. I was like, this is good. I Script. fucking love oh. Simon, the fucking publicist, <laughs> played by Gary Kemp, the fucking lead singer and songwriter of Spandu Ballet, who did true. I know my love is Like that, that one is. But like that, that fucking guy. Because I'm looking at this performance where it's like you look like some fucking evil Jude Law rat motherfucker, and I'm like, who is this guy? And it's like the guy from Spandu Ballet. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. You actually had a career. That's crazy. Anywho, but so anyway, I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. I was really emotionally invested. And then there was the scene where her sister was, like, confessing to hiring the hitman. And we I need like, to talk about this scene real quick. Happening? Okay, so, like, he's, like, they're drinking, they're in the cabin, the power's been cut, the killer is around somewhere haunting them. He has to protect his, you know, his asset. You know, is what's going on there. And then he pulls her aside, and she's drinking heavily. What What did you do? It's like, it's because she has everything. That's the thing. Like, and one of the things, that's fine. This thing. All right, what, I need a name. What's a name? And then she said, I don't know. I just went to a bar. I what? was high. And it's like, you went to a bar. I'm like, okay. And then it's just like, I don't remember the name. I'm like, okay, let's get this straight. You went ahead. You got enough money together to pay a hitman. You took a briefcase of money full into a random bar. Just and we're... Some- in some random bar and you were asking around <laughs> and you were stoned <laughs> while you were doing all of this like that was like one of sure. the that's crazy. how reality works <laughs> whatever you say scriptwriter yeah um i i so i'm so interested in the fact that you so first of all oh boy okay um the bodyguard what is i have a conf, I, have, I have a long relationship with the bodyguard mm-hmm. because is it a positive relationship yeah, yeah sure, for the most part. Yeah. Um, so it came out, uh, obviously, in 1992, and um, I first discovered Whitney Houston in the summer of 1993 when all good things happened to me because that's when I discovered Janet and Mariah and Tina Turner, and it's when I, whatever. Um, so I became obsessed. It was obsessed. your big gay awakening. It was, it was, my, it was my gay, gay awakening, awakening, if you will. Uh, um, uh, hashtag yes, L-Stars. There we go. Yep. Right. So... Anyway, I became obsessed with trying to see this movie, and so for for years, I like begged my because I was seven when it came out. I was like, I, I kept begging my parents to let me see it because I was obsessed. Get it to me on Laserdisc or Betamask. Um, and it you know it was an R-rated movie, so my parents were gonna weren't gonna let me see Whitney it. Whitney says the word fuck um, twice. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I finally got they to see it. Sex, what slut? Right. <laughs> uh, I I finally got to see it on my tenth birthday, and by the way, like. This movie is so... It, it has a, a place in my heart, but it is so devoid of, like, most things that are 
would generally be deemed inappropriate for children. Like, it has some cursing in it, but you don't really see much yeah, sex. Yeah, it has sex, but, but it doesn't actually show the sex. Right. Yeah. The, um, and so... I, I loved it as a kid. I, I Like, the first time I finally got to see it, it was like, oh my god, Whitney! Oh, she's falling off the stage! Oh no! Oh! Uh. You know, I was losing my fucking mind. Um, but I've seen it several times since then, and um, I, I don't think that it's a bad movie. I just think it's kind of boring. Like, it's kind of slow. Yes. And, and Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston have approximately zero chemistry, and that is... Kevin Costner's fault. Whitney Houston shows up. She she was not a trained actor. She she was on Silver Spoons and shit like that. She had acting experience. So the, okay. the, the one thing yeah. the one thing I will say about that is I did say earlier it was well directed. I think it was um, well uh, directed. Uh, what's script. the what's the verb of this? Cinematographied. Well well shot. Well shot. It was yeah. well shot. She looks but, beautiful. But nice. when when there's because Kevin Costner is a good actor. Yeah. And so when there's a bad performance like that, yeah. that's the director's fault, in my humble opinion. And so, and I think part of it is, is that he's supposed to be resistant to her at first. So they're like, isn't chemistry? And I feel like a couple more takes of the director being like, Kevin, I need you to like be resistant, but like show a little in your face that you're still kind of into it would have totally changed that movie. You're not... I'm, I agree yeah. with you. I'm just... So, what I think is interesting, though, about that is that Kevin Costner was a producer on this movie and was also, at that point, sort of notorious for taking over the editing process from his, his directors. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so there was an article in the LA Times around the time the movie was released that, you know, they wanted to recut the movie. And they ended up cutting, I think, like 20 minutes out of it. And Kevin Costner was very much involved in that process. And there was this sort of, did Kevin Costner take over this movie and try and edit it as such? But apparently he was very actively, like he produced it and also was very actively involved in the editing process. So in that sense, I'm kind of like, coming off of, so this was just after Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and which was just after Dances with Wolves, which was his big, like, critically acclaimed moment. Um, And so for me, I'm just like, so you are this involved in this movie and may or may not have like taken over substantial parts of the editing process. And that's the performance that we came up with. Like you weren't involved in the dailies. You didn't watch that and say like, we should go back and maybe reshoot some shit here because the, and the reason I say that is because he just, he looks, he just looks bored and you're totally right. Like all, all it needs, all I need to understand about his character in that movie is the, I need to see the decision that he makes to a have sex with her, and also I would like to understand why he's attracted to her. Because, yeah, because that's not explained. Yeah, in the movie. because it's like all it's, it's uh, sort of it sort of just feels like just she happened. keeps yeah. flirting with him, and so he's like, "Well, I guess fine, I'm yeah, dick in it." Right, like, but, but, but the soundtrack. The soundtrack. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is well, all mini well, no, material, okay. but so that's it's, that actually kind of ties in kind of well to bring it back is that then it makes so much more sense that Kevin Costner would have requested that the opening of I Will Always Love You be acapella, and that request was honored. And and here's the thing about that, though. One thing about the movie I love is at one point they're dancing at a bar, and they play not the Dolly Parton version, but another country version of I Will Always Love You. And I'm like... That's really smart to give acknowledgement of the fact that this is a cover, that it is yeah. a, a standard, but also more the fact that... Also give that much more contrast for how incredible her version is. is. And yeah. even more to yep. that, though, the thing is David Foster as a producer, and David Foster, the producer, he's done Schmaltz up the wazoo. He's probably I mean, he's most, famous for, everybody. He's no. most famous for... He's most famous for also uh, producing uh, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. He's a Schmaltz peddler. But he plays to it well. He knows how to... Because the thing about Schmaltz, what Schmaltz works, you don't open with... The thing is, you build to it. And so the thing is that that's why you start small with Whitney. You start with just the acapella, Kevin Costner's idea or no, that's a great idea. Build up, very light backing. Then you can bring in the cheesy rock guitars. You can bring in all that other stuff later. Especially when there's that break happens and then it's silent and then then kick drum. Boom. And, uh, you know, and then it just kicks into that. Like, he builds to that. And that's a great move that has there. But the thing about the Bodyguard soundtrack is it's not just that song right it's the fact that all because he also was a writer on i have nothing 
Yep. Which is, uh, you know, that is, that uh, is that defiant battle. That's the defiant moment that you want out of Greatest Love of All during the chorus. That, like, it, that's what comes out, you that's, know. Okay, so that's... I, I was not raised in a household that respected 80s balladry. Just to, <laughs> to put it simply. It was not something that I yeah. grew up on. So then, yeah. as I was discovering my own musical tastes in like my late teens and into my 20s I realized that I had a real affinity for a ballad sung well and sold well and like I have nothing is in the running for my favorite Whitney Houston song like there's just there's there's especially in her studio discography I challenge you to point out a better vocal performance I Totally agree with you. Like, she just fucking kills it. And this, that's the thing about this soundtrack specifically, is that even when she's getting into the, like, disco I'm Every Woman, which is also in my top ten, or the, like, gritty Janet Michael Queen of the Night, which is also in my top ten, like, you, like... She never gets harder than on Queen of the Night. Every one of these songs is, like in the best vocal performances of her career. Mm -hmm. Like, besides the quality of the songs themselves, like, 1992 is when she's grown out of the, like, awkward building your voice of your early 20s. She's hit her mid-20s, and she is fully stabilized. Like, there's so much power coming behind it. There's confidence of an already successful career, She's happy about, like, the script that she's about to shoot the movie for. And you just, like, you hear so much joy and sadness and, like, anger all across. And it's only six songs. Yeah. Like. I mean, I could do without like, Jesus Loves Me personally. So I mean, like, same. Yeah. Hence, Preacher's Wife at Six. But. Um, <laughs> Rub that and show but, us face. Okay, fine. So five songs then. Yeah. In five songs, I mean, this, we get these a are spectrum these are Whitney. five songs that we're putting at number one because it's just like mm-hmm. it's absolutely stunning. Uh, I mean, I agree with everything that you just said, um, with the exception of I'm totally cool with Jesus loves me. I think that. Like it's it's a bit of a stretch for it to be an actual on, song. Also, for it to be on the song, album. Yeah. Also, how awkward is it that in the movie she's singing it as a duet with her sister, and then the next scene is her sister talking about how she hired a hitman to kill her. Yeah. Well, hi, and you didn't know the name of the bar. <laughs> and also, the whole narrative of the sister is that she's super jealous of her, but it's like mm, someone clearly got the talent here, and it was not you. I'm sorry. Shout out to Michelle Lamar. Alex, uh, I'm sorry, Michelle Lamar Richards. Um, who played the sister, I had to look that up because I think that she does a great job in the movie. I, I do too. She's great. I th- yeah. she's, she's stellar. Um, that being said, uh, I think that every Whitney song on The Bodyguard is outstanding. It is just impeccable. The The years of, of roughly 1990 to 1992 are, are peak Whitney. You know, you, you don't... The, the later albums, you hear of the strain of... Uh, the the bodyguard tour and the the drug use and everything else sort of fall into to place and start the t- deterioration. But here, she is in her prime, and everything, all of those songs are feel iconic to me. Um, I mean, they do. They legitimately yeah. do. Run to you. Yeah. Um, uh, Run to you was the first Whitney Houston song that I ever heard, and I fell in love with her as a result. <laughs> Um, so it has a special place in my heart, yeah. but, but I agree. I mean, that would do I have, it. I and have the, the funny thing is, like, out of the five songs on here, that's my, like, least favorite, yeah. but it's still iconic and, you know, one of my favorite Whitney songs. Yeah. Like, it's just so hard because th- this is also part of why I wanted to only count her input on it, is because when you aren't counting the crap made by other people, yeah. it's it just doesn't stand up to... Or, like, it blows every one of her other Sorry, are you saying that the cover of What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding by, let me check this, Curtis Steigers doesn't live up to the rest of Whitney's promise? 
I mean, as a huge Aaron Neville fan, I just think Oh my god. um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) It's so hard to hear. It's so hard to listen to. Yeah, so it's what's so, um, for the listeners, um, uh, so you get Jesus Loves Me, you get get six songs, right, of all Whitney, all iconic vocals, and then number seven is Even If My Heart Would Break, which is Kenny G and Aaron Neville, which is like... This is another moment where I'm like, I'm like men getting by on mediocrity. Yeah. I'm like getting put on a fucking Whitney Houston album, and I'm like, what are you doing here? Yes. You should have known what you were doing and said, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm the right fit for this because I have no fucking talent, and you can't put me on a Whitney Houston album. Yeah. So that being said, (laughs) we've gone for almost two hours ranking eight fucking albums. How? Because we We are bad at our jobs. We should not get promotions. I'm gonna. I'm I'm gonna gonna blame myself because I just. We just had so much. We just had. I and I got I got to throw it in the context. What I I just got to throw it in. You know. Yeah. I mean, the context is very important. Yeah, which we didn't have going. And that's why this research yeah. week was so pivotal because we were just like to do it as songs and like this fucking sucks. And then you, the more you get into it, the more yeah. it gets into your brain, and especially when you fill it with biography, because yeah. a lot of people don't have biography. It's just Whitney and like I, sh- I showed Terry Taran a Mad TV sketch this day of you know, like a double disc album of Whitney ruins the classics. Mm. Oh yeah, you know? which is from two thousand. Yeah, and in two thousand that was funny and relevant, but in hindsight, it's like this is not it's, okay. It's that not cool saying. that that's yeah. really not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. that was that was the year when all all the shit started really hitting the fan for her in a public way. At least. Yeah. yeah, but at least she can take solace in the fact that when it comes to a podcast that started in 2016, her top three albums were ranked by the chartographers <laughs> as number three Whitney Houston, number two Whitney, and the number one Whitney Houston thing of all time was the Prince of Egypt soundtrack. Featuring, oh, no, I'm kidding. It's the Bodyguard. We all know it's the Bodyguard. And guys, listen. Obviously, the fact we even had to break it into two parts should indicate that we've had a great time talking about this. Mm-hmm. There's a whole fucking happy hour mini-sode after this, because we're all a little bit lit, and there's a lot more to say. <laughs> we're gonna get into it. Can you imagine the debate of Worst Whitney song? It's gonna be a thing. So get ready for it. Get ready for it. In the meantime, though, legitimately... Oh, Nick. This... I mean, here's the thing. You being on the Janet episode was an iconic moment and a breakthrough for our podcast... But you were meant to be here for this one. Oh, you really thank you. were, truly. Like I, I don't want to say it's your life achievement, but it feels like it's close. <laughs> I yeah. mean, honestly, my like in many ways, my whole life has led up to the recording of the Janet podcast and this one now. So like, so you can die now. Yeah, so. like bye. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, though, uh, the only it's like Tinkerbell. The only way to bring Nick Shota back to life is if you leave a review on our iTunes because. <laughs> That the more stars that you the okay. more stars you put on there, the more Nick will be brought back to life. So please let's give him superpowers. More stars. Also find us on iTunes and Facebook and Twitter and you know send us an email, the at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We probably won't respond unless it's cool. Uh in the meantime though, uh, we have a happy hour mini sound right after this, so please keep on listening. You know that we'll be. This is getting out of control. Thank you so much and good that I could myself. Hey, this is Kyle Hawk from It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. Our show is a free-flowing conversation featuring a rotating cast of guests, including musicians, music journalists, and music enthusiasts, sharing how the music is still alive and well. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and then come visit us at itsalldead.com.